0: Uh, guys, if you have your Bibles, and, and listen, I really hope that you do. We say this every week. Uh, guys, the, the Bible is our primary text here, and so I want to make you an offer. If for some reason you don't have a Bible or you don't have one on your phone, just come see me. We will give you a Bible today, okay? Uh, we will give you a Bible today. We want you to have the Word of God in your hand so that you can hold it, so that you can study it. The Bible says that the Word of God is living, that it is active, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that, that, that it sees a, all the way in, in between joints and marrow. It points out sin. It points out Christ. It gives us promises to hold on to in times of need, and so we just want you to have that Word of God uh, with you, okay? And so uh, if you don't have one, I just want to encourage you, uh, come see us, we'll, we'll give you one today. Um, we're going to be in two places, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, As we continue this study in Advent. Now, last week I began by saying, some of you don't really know what Advent is, and that's okay. Maybe you're like me, and, and you weren't raised in the church, and so Advent is kind of a like, like I, don't, I don't even know what this is. Or, or maybe you're just raised in a different church background where Advent wasn't celebrated. But this, this celebration began all the way back in the 5th century in churches, where they began to prepare their hearts to celebrate Christmas, or the, the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what the word uh, Advent means. It comes from a Latin word that means coming. And so it's a time that we celebrate Christ's first coming, but it's also meant to stir our hearts towards his second coming. That, that as we celebrate Advent, we think about Jesus' birth, we start to long for his return. And so, uh, so this morning, that's what we're going to do, okay? So join me in a word of prayer, if you don't mind, and, uh, before we open up the word of God and study it together. Father, um, we come before you this morning just grateful, thanking you for all that you are and all that you do. And Lord, asking this morning that you would do nothing short of a miracle in our presence. Father, the truth is that we are wayward even when we don't think that we are, that we are more stubborn than we could ever confess, and that we want it our way like, on a regular basis. And we need you, God. That's the truth. We need you more than the air that we breathe. And so, God, would you take people like us, I think in the Bible you call them stiff-necked at times, <laughs> would you take stiff-necked hard-hearted people like us, and would you mold us gently and lovingly and make us into the image of your Son, Jesus, this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and take your proper place in our church. We say this every week. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher of this church. And we know that your role is to lift up and exalt Jesus Christ. And we know that the Scriptures proclaim that when Jesus is lifted up, that he will draw all men unto himself. And so, King Jesus, draw us to yourself today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So guys, as we light the second candle of Advent this morning, as we did it just a moment ago, the the candle of peace, we read this scripture from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Very well-known scripture. It says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Now this morning I want to talk to you about exactly what that last title means. Why is Jesus called Prince of Peace? And why is he the only one worthy of that title? Okay? So uh, if you have your Bibles, again, open them to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2. What I'm going to read to you is going to sound very familiar because remember, we borrowed from Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 2 last week when we talked about our hopeless estate. So Jesus is our only hope. And so we talked about how Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter 2 those descriptors of who we are without Christ. And so this morning, like last week, we're going to read an entire chapter together. And so I'm in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read starting in verse 1, and we will read all the way through verse 22. And the Word of God says this, it says, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under the wrath as others were also." But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him, and He seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those that uh, call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope, and without God in this world, but now in Christ Jesus. This next part is going to be important. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In His flesh, He "...made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross by which he put the hostility to death." He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Excuse me. Getting over some bronchitis. Working through it. Alright. Ephesians chapter 2. Now guys, we, we talked about these descriptors that Paul used last week, right? About our hopeless estate. Through on the screen. Uh, he says these things in the beginning of Ephesians 2. He says, that without Christ we were dead. We're dead. So, so what happens when we come to know Christ? The very first thing that happens is we we are, we are born again. We come to life. That's a big deal, right? He says we were excluded from citizenship in the kingdom of God. Right? Just imagine that. So you're dead. And if you die dead, you stay dead. And then as a dead person standing before your creator, he says, why should I let you in? And, and we say, I don't know. I was a good person. He said, no, that doesn't count. You're dead. Only living beings get to be with an eternal living God. And so you stand before this living God, and I'm sorry, you are excluded from citizenship in heaven. That's not a good thing, right? It so says you're, you're foreigners and you're aliens to the covenants and to the promise of God. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, it brings me the most comfort of the promises of God. I will never leave you or forsake you, right? Be, be strong and courageous, for I will fight for you. All you need to do is be still. I mean, these are promises that I cling to on a regular basis to imagine that none of those promises were good for you. That none of them counted for your credit. Can you imagine how hopeless that is? That's what Paul saying. Without Christ, none of those apply to you. You're excluded from that stuff. He says, not only that, you're far away from God. That feeling that we have um, before we come to know Christ. Sometimes we even, we even struggle with this because Satan, remember, we just finished his whole lives. We believe he, he kind of convinces us. But, but we all have this feeling at times. God is so distant. I mean, so many people in the world, they are hurting, and they honestly believe that God could care less about them. And the reason they feel that way is because they're far away. It's not that God is far away. It's not that God's arm is too short to save. It's that they are far away because of their sin. And they feel it. And their hearts are aching for something more. And guys, we have the answer to that, right? So it says, man, they're without God. Ultimately, they're without hope. That's a hopeless estate. So we read that last week. Now this week what we're going to do is we're going to dig into the rest of the story. We're going to dig into who we are in Christ. And what we're going to understand, hopefully, my prayer, is that we understand exactly what Paul means when he says that Christ himself has become our peace by destroying or tearing down the wall of hostility and by in himself creating one new man, one new group out of the formerly two groups. What does that mean? What does that mean? That's what we're going to look at. This morning, Now, to understand that, um, it's, it's a little tough, I want to be honest with you, because we're 21st century Christians. And what Paul's using as an illustration, what he's talking about, it's an illustration of, of, of a house of worship. In fact, the house of worship, the temple in Jerusalem. And so um, now, 21st century Christians, all of our houses of worship look different. Right, Some of them kind of look like a shopping mall. Um, some of them look like like that old country church, beautiful kind of New Sweden kind of thing. Some of them look like this. Some of them look, yeah, I mean, they all look different, right? But but when Paul's writing, he's talking about one building that everybody was familiar with. And he's going to use that building as an illustration of what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a picture on the screen. We're going to go back in time and we're going to kind of understand. Now, this is not my favorite picture of the temple, but I think it's the best for me to try to explain some things. I know it's really, really small. But there in the center of the temple, uh, or in the center of, of, of the, um, the house of worship, you'll see is the temple. That's the tall building there, kind of. There's some little inner walls, and then there's really this really tall thing. Now, that's the temple itself. Within that temple, uh, there was a, a back room, a, a solid curtain about six inches thick all the way to the floor ceiling. And it, within, behind that was where the Ark of the Covenant would be. That was the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go back into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And, and it was, he was scared to death. They would tie a rope around his, his waist and put a bell on it in case like, the Lord just shook him up and killed him, right? In case he wasn't worthy. That's, 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 that's when you know you've signed up to be a pastor right there. Right? But that's it. Like, hey, it's Sunday morning, you got your Bible, I got my Bible, I'm good. Alright, brother, before you walk out on stage, let me tie this around you, because they might kill you. Right? I mean, that's, that's it right there, that's Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning, and so, so get ready, and, and so, so, that would, so that's the Day of Atonement. Now, now, now directly from there, I know it's a small picture, but just right out in front of that, is, is the first of a series of several what they call courts. And these courts are just gathering places for people. And the very first court right outside the temple, the closest court to the temple was called the court of the priest. The court of the priest. Now, the only people that could enter the court of the priest were males from the tribe of Levi. Right? The priestly tribe. And so it, this was like the, this is, this is the, the high class area. You know what I'm saying? This is the VIP lounge of, of worship, right? So you go in and only, like you, people would walk past you. You come in the outer court. And I'm walking past the outer court. I'm walking past this. Court. I've, I've entered the VIP lounge. Look at me. I'm in the court of the priest. It's a pretty special place. Now, on the same level, but, but a little further away from the temple was, was the next court. And, and that court was called the court of the Israelites, okay? The court, of the, or the court of Israel is actually what it was called. So the court of Israel was, was for any uh, Jewish male. Alright? As long as they were clean. Any Jewish male could go into the court of Israel. Women could not come here, but but that was the next court. So we had the court of the priests, and then we had the court of Israel, and then same level, just a little further away, was then the court of women. Now the court of women, any Jewish person could enter the court of women. So there were a lot of people hanging out there, but it is as far as women could go. As far as the women could go, the women could not enter into the court of Israel, they definitely could not enter into the court of priests. You guys following me? So that, now that's all on the same level. So all these courts leading out from the temple, all on the same level, just differing distances away. Then from there, you would walk down four steps. Once you walk down four steps, there'd there'd be a certain number of, of feet between you and what was called the dividing wall. Now, the dividing wall, the Jewish historian Josephus says, was about three cubits tall, somewhere between four and a half and five feet. And and this dividing wall was built up all around, and and you kind of see it, it looks like a line in the sand. It's really a wall. And within that wall, get this, was placed these stones that I like to call death threats. All right? They look something like this. Okay? I know you guys all can read that. And so these death threats, I like, by the way, can you imagine showing up to church and and they're like, like not a sign that says welcome, but a sign says I'm going to kill you. Like, I mean, this is what the sign would translate roughly, right? No foreigner is to enter, whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. I mean, you've seen a no trespassing sign, right? Trespass at your own risk. This is worse. Like, trespassers will be shot. No, trespassers will be killed. And we will make sure of it. That's a threat. Okay? So listen. I've got the court of priests. I've got the court of Israel. I've got the court of women. Now, I've got to walk down four steps. And now there's a wall built up. I'm on the other side of that wall as a Gentile. And it says, you cross this wall, I will kill you. Now, from there... It doesn't stop. we got to now walk down 14 more steps. And then when we walk down 14 more steps, then there is the final court, and that's the court of the Gentiles. That's where they can come. That's where they can go. See, the whole system, the whole system was about division. The whole system was about walls. The whole system was about classes. The whole system was about... uh, Alienation and hostility. And and, and that is what Ephesians proclaims that Jesus does away with completely. Ephesians 2 says Jesus stepped into that and said, That's all done. That is, that is, I've come to do away with that. You may remember Jesus has an encounter in the Gospels with the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. And he says to him, like, listen, I tell you, you tear this temple down. I'll build it again in three days. They say, you, you fool, do you know how long it took us to build this temple? He, he said, and it says, the text is, no, he was talking about his body. That's because Jesus Christ became the temple, right? And so Jesus Christ came to do away with all of that. And, and so this is what the text is saying, like, he came in his flesh, what he did is he took every dividing factor that divided mankind and God, and he nailed that division and that animosity and that hostility to the cross. Thus, destroying everything that could keep man from God, right? That's, that's, what, it's, that's what it's all about. See, this title proclaimed in Isaiah 9, 6, Prince of Peace, is all about Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 13 through 16. And this is what the Word of God says, verse 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. Who made both groups one, and He tore down the dividing wall of hostility in His flesh, He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. Jesus in his flesh did what neither party, neither the Jews nor the Gentiles could do on their own. Jesus in his flesh nailed all that divided man from God, all that separated us to the cross, so that we, all of us, Jews and Gentiles, all of mankind could be reconciled to God. Could be reconciled to God. What does that mean, though? Ever thought, you hear that word, reconcile? Reconcile? What do you mean when you're talking about reconciliation? Well, one of the first places we turn when trying to understand Scripture is context. So we would, we would read naturally in Ephesians, other places, but, but, but this is what it talks about in Ephesians as far as reconciliation. So where else can we turn? Well, let's turn to some of Paul's other writings. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's going to pick up on this theme of reconciliation again. And so if you'll turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just read this together quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. We're going to read through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, I'll read through 21, it says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, this new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, though we ask, that's a little bit clearer picture. But Paul, what what is reconciliation? See, reconciliation has to do about what Paul says there at the end of Second Corinthians five that we read in twenty one, and it has to do with what he says at the beginning of Ephesians chapter one, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse one through three. Because here's what it says, right? If we we go back to Second Corinthians. This is this is what he what he's done, right? So that we he, he's made us righteous says that he made us righteousness of God. Well, who were we before? Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, this is what it says. Ready? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, spirit that's not working the disobedient. Ready? We too all previously lived among them. Our fleshly desires, carrying out the thoughts and inclinations, our flesh and thoughts. We were, get this, by nature, children of wrath. So here's, here's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is the fact that God took people that were his enemies and his objects of wrath and he made them right with him, right? There's the definition of reconciliation. One of my favorite old preachers is a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I just love his stuff. He was a Welsh Protestant pastor and preacher. And so if you ever get a chance to pick up one of his books, he's just a great commentator. I love him. He says reconciliation is really about five things. It's like, whoa, that's a lot. MLJ, that's a lot. I thought, I thought it was just just this one thing. Now I'm no longer in it. See, it's, it's really about five things. And so I'm going to give them to you this morning. Now, some of you said to me last week, Pastor Jason, where are my sermon notes? I love you. It's Christmas, okay? It's a season. Right. No, I, the, the truth is, uh, we're trying, I'm trying to preach a little different stylistically just through this season, and so it's not as much observation as advocate. It doesn't set itself up as well for notes, um, but you can scribble on your bulletin it'll be okay. Uh, here's five things that reconciliation is. Ready? Number one, he says reconciliation is a change from uh, a hostile to a friendly relationship. That's where it starts. Reconciliation is a change from a hostile to a friendly We were enemies of God. We were objects of God's wrath. And then that song we sing, sometimes, now we're friends of God. Right, we're friends with. That's the, how how drastic the change from enemy not to hey I'm going to put up with you, but it's from enemy to to friend. Okay, that's a big deal. He goes further than that. Second thing it is is it's it's a genuine bringing together again. It's a genuine bringing together. It's a genuine reuniting. A genuine reconnecting. Sometimes we think of of, of reconciliation and we think well we're talking again, right? That's enough. We're reconciled. We're talking again. This isn't about being on speaking terms. Reconciliation, don't don't have that that messed up mindset like we had. Like some of us, we had Thanksgiving and we're about to go to Christmas and we got to see that family member again and we'll be on speaking terms again. Like that's not what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is from enemy to friendship, right? It's not a a halfway point in between. And so we're not just on speaking terms with God. We are now loved and adored by God. We're now close to God. We're now brought near to God. That's what reconciliation is about. And so we got to understand that. It's this genuine bringing together. He goes further. It's a complete action. It's complete. It's not in process. It's not. It's not halfway done. It is. It is a complete action. Hostility is so completely laid aside that now the only thing that can exist is a complete friendship. It is not a compromise. It's not a compromise. Some of us, when we think of worldly reconciliation, that's what we think it is. It's a compromise. Right? We're at odds with one another. What do we do? We sit down. Well, What could you do better? What can I do better? Let's meet in the middle. It's not reconciliation. That's not the reconciliation that we have with God. It's not what it's about. Okay, it, it, It's a complete action. Fourth thing he says, and it, it's really interesting, is that it's all initiated by one person. It's all initiated by one party, the party with the power. It, it's not that the party that lacks the power can, can, can go to the one that has the power and say, Hey, hey, let's make this right. Right? Let's make this right. I know I have nothing to bring. I don't I don't have any righteousness to bring, but hey, let's let's make this right. Right? That's it's not how it works. It always comes from the party that has the power. And so this is God saying to man, like, hey, I know you've got nothing to bring, but I love you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna come down. I'm gonna do this for you because you mean this much to me. We're gonna talk about Christmas, we're gonna talk about Jesus coming to earth. We've got to understand this is what God is doing in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm coming down. God with us. Not, not God just above us. Not, not God separate from us. God wants to be with us. I'm coming down. Amen. Right? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Reconciliation initiated by the upper party, the more powerful party. The last thing he says it is, he says, uh, reconciliation is re- the restoration of something that was there before. It's the restoration of something that was there before. We talked about the Genesis 1 and 2 moments last week and how it all fell apart in Genesis chapter 3. You know what the, church, what the word um, reconcile means? It's reconcile. It means at some point you were previously reconciled, right? And, at some point you weren't far away. At some point you weren't dead. At some point you weren't a foreigner. At some point you weren't an alien. At some point you weren't excluded. And, and it, it's a reconcile of that. It's like, hey, we're going to get this back together. You're going to be mine again. This is going to be Genesis 1 and 2. This isn't post-Genesis 3, man. This is, this is Garden of Eden business. You and me in, in fullness and complete the way you're meant to be. That's what I'm going to do with you. Yeah. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And this is what Christ does for us in his flesh. This is why he and he alone can be our prince of peace. Because he took all of that hostility, he took all that division, he took all the stuff that stood between us and God since Genesis chapter 3, and in his flesh, he nailed it all to the cross. In his flesh, he became the, the new temple. And so here is the message. Uh, this is huge. This is what Paul's saying, okay? This is what Paul's saying, because we've got to get this. We've got to grasp this. Look, look at verse 17. It's on the screen. This is what Paul's saying. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Okay? That's what he says. So, so Jesus came to proclaim this peace, to preach this peace to those that are far away and to those that are near. Now look at the map again. Let me show you. This is what he's trying to, trying to say. Okay? I got some little circles. I don't know if they stand out enough. Okay? What, what, what Paul is saying, people out there, that way out there, that's the court of the Gentiles, way down there, 19 steps down, divided by a five foot wall, with death threats. He said, "Like Christ came to preach peace to those people out there, but then look at the other circle. He also came to preach peace to those of you that were near. He came to preach peace to those of you that were in the court of women and those of you that were in the court of Israel and those of you that were in the court of the priests. Jesus came to preach peace to those that were far away and He came to preach peace to those that are near because both groups needed to not be out in the outer courts. Both groups, He always intended to be with Him in the Holy of Holies. You see it? That's what Paul's proclaiming. What Jesus did was, was destroy every. Part of separation. He tore the curtain in two. He, he demolished the dividing wall. There is no longer Jew. There is no longer Greek. There is no longer outer court. Baby, we're behind the Holy of Holies. That's where we belong. In the presence of God like we were meant to be. Genesis 1 and 2. Yes, thank you, that is the proclamation of Christ being the Prince of Peace. That is what He's done in His flesh. That's, good That's the picture. Because both parties need Jesus, alright? Now, because of that, and because all of that was only done in one body, we now must all belong to that one body. And belonging in one body, there can be no separation with us either. We're going to talk about that in a second when we get to how this works out. Some of you still got some separating stuff up in your mind. We got to destroy that. There can be, listen, our skin color can't separate us. Our political opinions and who you vote for, if you let who you vote for separate you from somebody that God created in his image, who God sent his son to die for, you are broken. Because none of those people can save you. Jesus, they tried to make him king, remember? They tried to make him a political ruler. He said, no. And yet we are so caught up in politics and what divide. There can be no division within the church of God. Say, but I like to sing certain songs. Well, God bless you. And the person next to you likes to sing certain songs too. And you know what? There are certain songs that God likes to hear. So let's make sure that what we're singing is about what He likes to hear. We'll just do that. And some weeks it'll be right up your alley, and some weeks it'll be right up their alley. God love you. We'll do it together. But there's not going to be division in the house of God. So here's what all this stuff looks like in in the flesh. When we flesh this out, we try to give you application every week. I didn't give it to you last week because we were a little different. But here's what I want to tell you this week. I think it means three things. First of all, I I, I would just, I would implore you this week, man, if you're here um, and, and you have not been reconciled to God, you need to be reconciled to God. Without Jesus Christ, you are still living as an enemy of God. And listen, I know some of you think that's not a big deal. I've got time. I've got plenty of time to get my life right. Um, no, you don't. You don't. Now, I was in Borger, Texas, uh, and uh, we were we were doing a revival, and we had a guy come in, and he was preaching Christ and, and need for repentance. And, and a, a college guy came down, and he was a friend of, of a friend of mine. Uh, he was actually a brother of a friend of mine. He, he came down, he walked out, gave his life to Christ. That night, he went home trying to clear his head. He got his motorcycle out, rode around the block. College kids ran a stop sign, hit him, and he died. What if he hadn't gotten his life right that night? Like the, the point, we just don't know. And, and so, if you're here and you've never been reconciled to God, the, the, the truth of the gospel, the bad news of the gospel, is that you're an enemy of God right now. And and listen, not just an enemy of of, of like little G God, you're an enemy of the Creator of of the universe. You're an enemy of an all-powerful God who, listen, sent his son, Jesus, that's what Christmas is about, his one and only son to earth to live the life that you couldn't, the life that you you don't deserve to. God sent Jesus to live it for you, and then Jesus died in your place. And so if you reject that, that's what you're going to have to deal with is a really angry father who says, wait a second. You you mean to tell me that I, I sent all the prophets? You mean to tell me that, that I revealed myself? To them through my word. You mean to tell me that I gave you a, a book that told you how to enter into a right life. You mean to tell me that I sent my son and, and he took your sin upon his shoulders and he died in your place and and you you had the out of jail free card. You knew that you were my enemy. You knew that you could be my friend and my child and you rejected that and now you stand before me and say that hell's not okay. And I want to tell you on that day that the mercy of God is going to be removed. I, I want you to know that he is slow to anger, friends. But there is a day that is coming that this mercy and grace thing that we're experiencing, he's going to let the wrath fall. And so I'm just here, like, if you are here today and you have never believed in Jesus, let today be the day. The Bible says, let today be the day of yourself. And he you say, I don't know how to do that. pretty easy. God, I don't want that. Like, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone guy, guys. Y'all hear on the regular, but this is the truth of God's word. Hell is a real place. Jesus talks about it. And so listen, but you don't have to go there. Be reconciled to God. Believe in Jesus. Call on his name. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Prince of Peace. I need peace with God in my life today. That's all you have to do. And the Bible says you will be saved, okay? Second thing. For those of you that are already Christians, I just say to you, listen, you better start taking advantage of the access that Jesus provided. I, I, I cannot tell you how many Christians I've run into. I just want to say to them, why, why are you so anxious, man? Why are you so troubled? Why are you acting like a foreigner and an alien and to, to, to the covenants and the promises? Why, why are you settling for the outer courts? Right? Jesus came to, to, to destroy all that. Right? He came to destroy all that. Like there's, there's, there's no better. There, like Jesus did away with all of it so that you who were, who were far away, by the way, we were 19 steps down in the plan, right? Just saying, say we're 19 steps down with a five foot wall. That's us, right? Unless you're Jewish. I know I got some Jewish folks here, okay? But I'm just saying, right? 19 steps down. But it doesn't matter. The one 19 steps down and the one that had elevated themselves 19 steps up all needed to be in the Holy of Holies. They were all in the outer court. We have access now. And so, so the book of Hebrews says, so so uh, uh, boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. So wh- where are you, Christian brother? Why why are you running around anxious? Why is your head hung low? Why, why are you upset? Why are you distracted? Why are you caught up in, in all the political mess and mire of the world? Like, where is your God? The answer is, He's on His throne. And that's the room you're supposed to be in. That's the room you're supposed to dwell in. That's the place we're supposed to camp. So take advantage of your access, friends. Take advantage of your access. Last thing I would tell you is this. We have to be makers of peace. We have to be makers of peace. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our example. He came to do away with all levels of hostility. Destroy hostility. Do away with division. He says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21, which we just read, says we now have this ministry of reconciliation. Just as, as, as God reconciled us, He made peace with Himself and us. We are now to go be a part of that ministry of reconciliation. And, and so I just I, I want to ask you this morning as we close, how are you walking that out? How are you being a peacemaker? Because here's what I fear. I fear that we, a lot like the Jews really like to create more division than we do anything else. We like to create separation. We like to feel special. We like to look at people that are far off from Christ, and we like to remind them that they're far off from Christ. And we like to build our spiritual walls up and say, holiness is over here. Right? Holiness is over here. Oh, you're struggling with that sin? That's a terrible sin. Holiness is over here. We're on the other side of the wall, and we're 19 steps up from you. And you know what happens when you build walls, friends? Ah, This isn't meant to be political, by the way. Do you know what happens when you build walls, when you erect walls? You know what walls do? They keep you from seeing the beauty of God. They keep you from seeing the light you're meant to see. I I, I don't know your heart. I'm not here to judge you. But if you're here this morning and there's any wall in your heart that thinks that somebody of a different color is any less than you, Thinks that somebody of a different socioeconomic status is any less than you. That Thinks that somebody who came from a broken home is any less than you. Thinks that somebody that's struggling with a certain sin is any less than you. That somehow you're a better spiritual believer. Let me just destroy that argument this morning. The way that Paul destroys it to his yes. Jewish brethren. You are not 19 steps higher. You may be 19 steps higher in man's eyes, but you've got a million miles to go with God. Come on. We all need Jesus. Amen. There can be no division. We are called to be peacemakers, so tear down those walls. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Pray this morning that it would, uh, it, would, it, would, it would even cut a little bit. Maybe that we bleed a little bit if that's what we need to do. God, I just pray that you do work in us that only you can. Father, uh, we, we come before you this morning just confessing that your son Jesus is the only reason we can have peace with you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not have peace with you yet, would today be the day? Call them to yourself. Let them know they can cry out and say, God, I want peace. Jesus, come into my life. God, would you you just bless them, Lord? Do that today in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if that's you at the end of the service, when we're all done, we're gonna take up two offerings. It's a special day here. But when it's all said and done and people are leaving to go get coffee, just come see me. I won't embarrass you. I just wanna talk to you about Christ. I'll talk to you about how you can know that you received Him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Okay, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, This morning we're going to take up two offerings. Now the first one is our standard deal. We're going to take up our morning uh, tithes. That's what this is about. This is about tithes. So if you're a member here and you tithe, uh, by the way, if you're a member here, we expect you to tithe. Uh, That's the deal. Now if you are not a member here, then you don't have to give. You just get out of jail free card. Okay, it's not expected of you, but if you're a member here, it's 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 expected, right? And I I say get out of jail free. Really, this is this is a blessing. God says test me in this, right? Right? See if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and, and bless you. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So this is about tithes. Now, after we collect this, and Catherine's going to do some announcements uh, and, and a little off stuff like that, but after we collect this, we're going to come right back and take up our special offering. Now, this morning is our crossing over Sunday. We, we, we haven't taken one up all year. We were supposed to do one. We had some, like, crazy time of training. We're, we're This is about the future of the church, of First Baptist uh, Church. And, and it's not just about us. It's about the future of Elgin, Texas. We have decided as a church that we are not going to stand silent and stand still as this community grows, that we're going to be committed to reaching um, the new people that God is bringing here, and we know we need a bigger facility for that. And so, guys, we, we're, we're meeting with architects. We've got some amazing things going on. Um, how, how many of you wanted a commercial kitchen? How many of you ladies were down with that? Okay, the kitchen is huge now, Jeff. Like, it is it is a... Ma- I was like, wow! I, I, it's big. It's like, like 40 by 30 or something now. I mean, it is a large uh, place to... To, to, to do life and to cook things, it's amazing. We're working on, on extra space for youth and adults, and we're just excited about what the Lord is doing. But listen to me, none of that happens if we as the people of God don't bring uh, an offering to the Lord. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to do that after we do our first so I'm going to ask my ushers to come up. I'm going to, I'm going to say a little prayer over us as they do. Guys, the plates are down here because we don't have the table up here. So our plates are down there. First, we're going to take up our, this is for our tithe. So don't, don't get confused. This is your regular tithe and offering. By the way, if you're watching online, love you guys. Remember, you can click the give button right there on our live stream. You can give your tithes right now online. You can also do that with a future fund. And so um, we're going to take up the morning offering. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for loving us. Um, this morning, we as your children. We as the members of your household, we as the members of this church, First Baptist uh, Church, we're, we're bringing our tithes into the storehouse right now. Um, God, and, and we're just going to do this faithfully because, God, we recognize, we declare every single thing we have is a gift from your hand. It's not about what we've produced. It's about how, how graciously you've given unto us. So, 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 Lord, we now return a portion of all of that unto you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Men. Amen, amen, amen. Now, Ms. Catherine's going to give us a few announcements, and then Jacob uh, and I are going to lead you in, in a little something before we take up our crossing over offering.
1: Oh, is this on? Ooh, perfect. All right, so we just have a few announcements today. Our women's ministry is having their ornament exchange and brunch this Saturday? Yeah. Yeah, this Saturday at 10.30 a.m. here in the Fellowship Hall. They just ask that you bring an unwrapped ornament and one of your favorite brunch dishes. So we hope we can see you there. And then our bags of blessing. It is happening next week. So we ask that if you want to participate in that, please bring your bag no later than this coming Sunday. So next week. No, today's the 9th, right? Well, it's happening on December 16th is when we need the bags, and then it's occurring on December 19th. There we go. All right, so if you want to participate, please bring your bags. And is that all of our announcements this morning? Awesome. So Crossover Sunday. Here we go.
0: Okay, so the big message of that is that we need your bags in. Uh, so uh, we have, we've got a few here. This is the time of season for those bags to be... Uh, to be flying in, and uh, we really, really appreciate. And remember, we're giving a uh, hundred Christmas dinners away on the nineteenth to people from our food pantry. Um, that will not even cover all of the families that go to our food pantry. It's just going to cover the ones that uh, our, our director believes to be in the most need. And so, um, we do a, a special Christmas service. They come in, we preach the gospel. Uh, that's the only time of year that our, our food pantry folks get to come in and they get to hear the gospel. So we'll preach kind of what you've been hearing here, and uh, we'll sing Christmas carols with them. Then we'll we'll uh, we'll walk them back, and you guys hopefully will be here to help out with that. And you, you we, we have a big line of volunteers. You step up, you grab their, their bag of blessing, their turkey, you walk them out to their car, and you pray a blessing over them. And it is one of the coolest, most powerful things we get to do here. And uh, it's really awesome. Now, guys, uh, a few years ago, the Lord graciously laid it upon our hearts and the hearts of, of some of these men here, um, our, our deacons, that, that it was time to grow, um, that the Lord was calling First Baptist to do something that was way outside of our comfort zone, and, uh, I mean, way outside of our comfort zone. We began to pray about it. We had people come in and look at our, our services, and we knew that we didn't have enough space. And, uh, so we started to pray, Lord, how, how, where are we supposed to go? What's that supposed to look like? And the way the Lord moved through this whole thing, um, for, for a season, we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And then, and then, uh, God kind of laid it on several people's heart at the same time. I think it's time. And then so we had this discussion. Well, how, how, how much land are we supposed to buy? And, and so just, like, people didn't even want to say it. I think we were a little like faith. we were like, I don't know. If, I don't know if I want to step out on faith. So we we're like, I, I, don't, I don't know. And then somebody kind of said, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like maybe it should be like 15 to 20 acres. And somebody goes, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. So a really cool deacons meeting. We're like, all right, Lord, you're just gone before us. And so we began to look, came to the church, said, hey, we feel like we're supposed to do this. Remember? And we, we voted to go look at land. And we, we found this property right next to the high school. And 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 we began to envision what that'll be like um, with high school students being able to come over and there's there's a uh, nightingale elementary is right there and maybe aftercare for them we just began Lord we want to we want to dream your dreams we don't want to just get caught up in ourselves and so God began just to put all these things in order that land was paid off in like a year and a half. Uh, God was so gracious, and, and now we're raising money. We're, half, we're over halfway there. I sent you an email this week. Lord has already provided over half a million dollars. We're trying to raise uh, the, the other half, and, and we're thinking we could open doors in December 2020. So you guys do that math, okay? So about two years, we need to raise about 250000 each year. That's kind of where we are. Now, we we haven't taken up an offering this year, and so we're doing it right now. We said when we entered into this, this is about each family doing their part. It's not that we're all, we're not going to go through and go, well, that family gave this, and that family gave that. Like that's, no, it's, the Lord has blessed us all differently. We all do different things, right? We we all have different gifts and talents, but but we're all going to sacrifice together. And so, and we've asked you to be praying, Lord, what would our family give? What is our sacrifice? And and we're going to ask you to do that without caring about what anybody else's, whatever else they're giving. This is between you and the Lord, and this is you investing, get this, ready? In things that will last. You say the building's not gonna last. We're not investing in a building. We're building a building so that we can invest in the lives of families. God has clearly given us a vision at this church, and that's this church is going to be about Seeing families in Elgin, Texas transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, learning that their primary goal in life should be learning to love, the, love God with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. The second aim in life should be to love their neighbor as themselves. And, 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 and thirdly, we believe that they should be taking the word of God and putting it in practice in their lives daily. That's what we're going to be about. We want to see that transformation in the lives of children, in the lives of youth, in the lives of their parents. That's what this is about. And so this morning, what we're going to ask you to do, before you write a check, by the way, there's special envelopes in the pew in front of you that say crossing over. In the memo line, you can just write crossing over if you can't find an envelope. Or you can write future fund. That all goes to the same place. But this morning, we're going to sacrifice and, and give a, a, a sacrifice of praise unto God. And we're just going to see what God does. Next Sunday, we'll come back. We'll give you the total. Be like, yes, God, you're good. We're going to worship him, uh, no matter what that number is. And so let me just lead us in a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads before me? Let's prepare our hearts. God, would you be honored now? And what we can bring. Father, I was so overcome this week as I was reading about the building of the tabernacle and how you, you, you laid it on your, your, your children's hearts, right? They had been enslaved in Egypt. You delivered them. And once your children were delivered, you said, hey, I need gold. I need silver. I need beautiful tapestry to build a dwelling so I can just, I can be amongst you. And God, they responded in such a way. They gave so much that that you actually had to tell your servant Moses to tell them to stop giving. (laughs) You've given too much. And Lord, that's my prayer. Not, Not just in this one day, but I pray when we end this thing, that that's what we're saying. We're saying to our people, man, you've been so generous. God has used you in such a way. You've given so much. We're good. We're good. Lord, we recognize this morning that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our Lord and Provider." And we thank you for the provision you've given us. Build your kingdom here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.